Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester United podcast with my regular co-host here, the excellent James Rhodes from the United Muppeteers. It's Monday, so as promised last week, we had moved this podcast up, um, so we're going to start recording this on Monday. So uh, hopefully that gives you a bit more time to download it through the week. Uh, James, how you doing, mate? Good, 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 good. <laughs> a little better than last time, but, uh, but, but not much better. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I'll talk a little bit about my contrasted emotions during the Brentford yep. game, and um, uh, obviously incredible last couple of minutes for United yep. to win that game. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that, about Scott McTominay, um, other problems, Casemiro, Rashford, Garnacho, the celebration police, um, Sancho apology, death of Cathy, we'll touch a little bit on the protests at the ticket yep. office before the game, uh, and a few other things, so let's to get through Today, well, before we get into the game, James, obviously, organised protests again at the ticket office uh, in retaliation, of course, for United's um, really mealy-mouthed excuse for um, the debacle that happened with Galatasaray fans being able to buy tickets <clears throat> in uh, significant parts of United Stadium, which wasn't designated as a way area. Quite clearly, I think the reasonable... Um, extrapolation here is that United sold uh, VIP tickets. Um, they sold those uh, where it comes with hospitality tickets where mm-hmm. they significantly marked them up. And this is one of the problems with the aftermarket is United are really half-hearted in stopping that because what they like and we first, not just United, is fans creating a market for expensive tickets that they could then later on exploit. Um, so um, that was quite clearly what happened and uh, really quite disgraceful, a safety issue. And again, another indication of the fact that United just have no managerial oversight on anything to make sure these things don't happen. Yeah, agreed. And, uh, you know, in terms of the specifics on how and why this doesn't happen, you know, I, I'm probably not the best person to speak because, uh, Having most of my experience in American sports, we don't have segmented uh, mm. fan bases in the in the stadiums. Um, everybody mixes, right? We don't have the same kind of fan sure. culture, you know. So it's a little mm. it's a little tricky here. I mean, it is funny. Um, I respect quite a lot the way that the English sports and and European sports in general set up their ticketing because, you know, when I when I hear about ticket prices being expensive and then being, you know. 15 pounds more or something like that you'll pay three four hundred dollars for 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 an nfl game in the u.s that's a it's absurd the, the ticketing that being said you don't want things to go that direction mm-hmm. in uh in, in football in, in in england you don't want things to end up americanized because i think it's actually the worst uh setup in the u.s how ticketing works and how expensive it is to go watch games considering how much money they make here in sports, which is also inflated, um, the kind of contracts you get here are, I think, even more inflated than anywhere else in the world. So you don't want things to go Americanized on a lot of the sporting aspects when it comes to ticketing and, and all of that. But, yeah, I mean, it all comes down to when you you have – I know that you have certain protections in place for the fans for this reason because it, it can be dangerous um, because there's incidents that have occurred, which I'm aware of, you know, with – the fan bases and things like that that have happened over the years. And um, at the end of the day, regardless of how it happened, the end result is that 
however things are being set up and run, it it ended up in a manner that was potentially very dangerous for the fans. And that's uh should be the top of the priority is the safety of the fans and the people going to the games um, and their experiences and not, uh, not money, but um, it's sort of just a, a microcosm of the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. Look, um, <clears throat> there's, a, there's, there's two parts to this. Like, the old saying, if it makes dollars and cents, it makes sense, right? Yeah. And that's been the adage in sport for a long time, you know. Um, another sport that I love very much is boxing. And boxing went to a pay-per-view model, essentially, where they sacrificed the mainstream audience for the fact that they knew there was probably a core element of their support that would pay $79.99 a month to watch two drunk men fight in a bar. Right. right. And they said this was more lucrative than free to air TV. And uh, once you lose that audience, you don't get it back. Now, they're trying to compete with MMA to get that mainstream audience back, but it takes years to build. And uh, this is, of course, why they're going to YouTubers and everything else. Um, and when you swap fans for customers, you, I can see why from a business perspective, you would look at it and say, okay, customers aren't protesting, right? Customers, you know, aren't threatening people at the football club. They're coming here. They're spending money on tours. They're spending money in the in the club shop, and you know, they're you know the the they're not you know the, the profit we make off a uh, of a, of a tourist or a customer far outweighs that we make off a local, and they're not as sensitive to ticket prices or everything else. The sure. problem with that is. Those customers are not fans, so they'll go buy tickets to the team that's winning. And you can do that when you're winning. You can get away with having customers. We see as we enter Miami. Once Messi goes, they'll be back to trying to get fans back in the ground. Yeah, this is a yep. really short-sighted, um, and a really uh, this, this is something that uh, really pays dividends over the long run. And yeah. uh, I've seen this with many teams where. Once they start losing, their stadium empties out and they're trying to bring their fans back, the people they priced out. Um, and I think Bayern Munich said this correctly. We could up our ticket prices. You know, Germany has a very, very well calibrated ticket price policy. Um, we could up, up you know, um, we could uh, up our ticket prices to something that's analogous to here or, you know, some of the highest price. You know, you, you do stick in England, you know, Arsenal have high price tickets and stuff. Um, and maybe it would make us an extra million pounds or euros per game. But that's around an hour in a transfer mm -hmm. um, negotiation. The cost to the fan is significantly more than the benefit to the club. Yeah. yeah. Plus, one of the greatest selling points is the atmosphere, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do we really want to bridge your Dortmund? Hollowed out with seventy thousand tourists, yep. you know, clapping. I think you really do lose something. Maybe, maybe I'll change down a bit. I don't know. I think that um, when it comes to the Super Bowl, young kids can't afford to go to the biggest game of the year because you know some of it to take a family would, would cost half a year's salary for some people. I, I think yep. that is morally reprehensible and indefensible. Um, it also does have a pretty bad atmosphere historically. Yeah, well, well, the Super Bowl is one of the worst games to go to as a fan. It's actually all corporatized. Yeah. It's actually yeah. all, you know, big sponsors, you know, bringing yeah. and the wealthy flying on their jets. And, yeah. um, and you know, it, it, I mean, 
you, you look at these games and they're panning through the crowd for celebrities. You see the boxing are panning through the crowd for celebrities. That's what sells it. And I just think for me, like the people that support the, the, the game at the grassroots from all the way up should have a price point where they can go to games, where that is still an experience that's available to a child who doesn't have parents that are independently wealthy. I mean, sport rose from the working class communities, right? I mean, football, yeah. American football, you know, um, soccer, lots of sports, they're comprised of kids that have come out from difficult situations, almost always, that end up being superstars. And I, I still think there has to be a price point. And I do think that it would add something to the occasion that they could monetize right, in, in other ways where there's a core support that should be allowed to attend. Um, I, I, I'm not against United having sections of the ground that are significantly overpriced for, for a popularity yeah. VIP. To be fair to United, they've had one ticket price raise in 11 years, so the ticket prices are relatively Which decent. was Premier League wide at the time. Yeah, um, and, and, and but I think what would concern me is um, are things that bad mm -hmm. where they're willing to take these types of risks? Because here's the thing. There was legitimate reports of kids being assaulted, right? Um, whether we like it or not, there's a fierce tribal fandom in Europe. Um Galatasaray fans, Manchester United fans, there's been a lot of history here of this, right? We were in Galatasaray and Istanbul going back to 93. I mean, ask anyone that was there. Um, the, how intimidating that atmosphere was. Ask Leeds fans. I'm not I'm not blaming Galatasaray fans. I'm just saying these things are a reality. You look at what happened in Rome. You look at with Liverpool fans, with United fans. You know, you can go through lots of examples of this happening. In fact, Eintracht Frankfurt took over Barcelona Stadium last season doing exactly the same thing and it caused major ramifications and the next team to play Barcelona after that Frankfurt game was Manchester United and they made sure people with English names and, and, and by the way I'm taking this from the Talk of the Devils podcast where Andy Mitten was talking about it so um, they um, made sure United fans with English names did not get tickets to that game so um, this is something that doesn't happen by accident yeah, for sure. So uh, disappointing. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> I completely support the fans in their protest once again, which is peaceful, yep. well organized, well attended. And um I think uh it I, I support the 1958 Nolan endeavors 100%. Um moving on to Native V Brantford. So this had a very familiar feel to it. Um I want to say a couple of things in defense of Ten Hag. When you were setting up a team, um and you're conceding a goal when a team has one shot on target. A goal that you expect your goalkeeper to be able to save. A goal that you don't expect your top central midfielder to make a mistake, and then your centre-back or left-back to make a mistake, and then your goalkeeper to make a mistake. If you don't have the resilience to deal with one single attack, it's very difficult to be successful. And these are, not, these are goals that you should not expect to concede at this level. Clearly, Onana... Lindelof and Casemiro are not being coached to do this. Clearly, this is a, not a result of coaching on the training field. Um, clearly, this has got nothing to do with any of the instructions that Ten Hag's given them. This is not a consequence of bad coaching. It's not a consequence of bad instructions. It's not a consequence of anything. You know, maybe you could argue sports psychology or whatever, but 
when United are conceded that easily and then struggle to score. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I think um, I have some sympathy with him on that first goal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it's it. This is the complication of of trying to measure up a coach or a manager because most all of them have good ideas. Frankly, I mean, when you look at the the, the times you lose, there's times that managers get kind of tactically outclassed, but more yeah. often than not, it's it's stuff like this, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's errors, it's mistakes, it's things like that, that are going on. And it's really hard to measure. I mean, in, in some respects, in some ways, too much blame and too much credit is given to managers and coaches and sports. Um, when, when players play well, you know, the manager often gets a lot of the praise in the same when they play poorly. And the answer is probably not really that, <laughs> You know, it's probably a lot more to do with the 11 players who are on the pitch than anybody else by far. The manager is a voice. And it's a little bit of a, a challenging thing. It's also a bit of a changeover in, in sports. I mean, in, 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 the, in the 90s and early 2000s, I think the best managers were all more than tactical managers. They were just managers who knew how to motivate. And that's true of most sports as well managers who knew how to motivate, who knew how to get their players up for the games every time, knew how to get the best out of most of them. Now it's a mixture where obviously there's a lot of tactics that go into these games, a lot of study that goes into these games. But I'll give you something kind of funny on all of this um, because we spoke about this. So this is a little bit of a defense of, of Ten Hag, but I think it's also a bit of, a, of, a, of something that's a confusing nature of sports in general in terms of what's right. Brighton were getting a lot of praise, you know, for a long time here, uh, Deserby. And I, I shared on here that someone had told me, look, Brighton don't do much training during the week. They don't do much running during the week. United do a whole lot of running and have a whole lot of injuries after Brighton had beat United. Brighton spend all week on tactics. Well, since that game, Brighton have lost numerous games, looked really poor in Europe mm -hmm. and have struggled quite a bit. Um, United haven't really done much better. So you have two opposite ends of the spectrum here of a team that spends all its time on tactics and a team that maybe spends a little too, maybe too much time running. I still think is the case. There are issues with, with United's load management and things like that, but the end result is the same. Both teams are struggling. So what's the right answer? Uh, are both managers bad or are all the players bad on both teams? Uh, who knows? These are some of the difficulties and intangibles that you get in sports that sometimes you just can't explain. But, um, you know, overall, yeah, it's not down to, you know, the goal that we conceded is not down to, I mean, I don't think it's down to coaching that specifically. I don't think a lot of them have been down to coaching. I think there's definitely been a lot of times where we set up poorly and the setup leads to goals that occur or leads to exposing players to making individual mistakes that they still shouldn't be making, but that they do. Um, I don't really think that was one of the times. That goal is kind of what it is. The bigger issue that I that we I think we continue to struggle with is, is if you follow the team up to 90 minutes, very few chances, very few strong chances at, at, at getting a goal. And one of the things that we've obviously seen is, I, I mean, I think one of the biggest critiques of, of, of Jose and Ole and 
now that we're seeing currently with Ten Hag is that it still feels as though when we have the ball and we're in the attacking areas that if one player isn't making something happen, we're not yeah. going to score. <clears throat> and, um, and, and that is a little bit of a more of a, of a concerning thing. And, and obviously I've gotten a lot of mixed feelings about the game because if you go up to the 88th minute, you're thinking we've been terrible today. And that hasn't, doesn't change because of those final two goals. That doesn't change because of that. Unfortunately, um, I don't, it, it's good to have the three points because you want the win. You want the win. You want to have the points. You don't want the season to be a write-off, but at the same time, can anybody really honestly say when they look back at this game that it was progress? I want to say <clears throat> yes and no. I want to say one thing that was different about this game that's been very different to any other game this season is that they found a way to win in the last minute. So if you look at United's other wins, they've been holding on. <clears throat> you know, the Wolves game, the Forest game, the Burnley game, you know, it's been holding on. And one of the things that they'll take from this that they wouldn't have taken had they have gone 2-0 up and conceded a goal in the last 10 minutes and won the game 2-1 is a confidence in their own resilience. <clears throat> the fact that the game is never over. They will take so much more from that than what they would have if they had scored two goals early on and conceded a random yeah. goal in the second half and, and saw that. So yeah. there's something in that. Uh, the international break comes at the wrong time because you lose that momentum. But there's something there in that that says <clears throat> we can we we can find a way to win a game. And moments like that that are you know that that you've just done something you haven't been able to do before. What starts to build confidence and trust a little bit in yourself. <clears throat> now, lots of things were wrong with that game. Once again, when you see the, the back four people, Johnny Evans starting. Johnny Evans has started in your last United's last two league games. And and um, you know, it was a, it was a bit of a weird lineup with Lindelof at left back Dahl at right. I would have I would have I don't I would imagine they would have yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I think one of the problems with Ten Hag and United is with team play. To cut someone open with team play, um, you need repetition in the lineup. Uh -huh. You need confidence. Um, you need almost a telepathic understanding of the spaces players yeah. occupy. Um, yeah. And when you're doing that with not just constantly injured players, but players that are new to the club, Amrabat, yeah. Mount, you know, they don't really understand each other's Island, team. Of course, as that. a striker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're not. Yeah, and you're not building yeah. off confidence, and you're under immense pressure. To you can't make a mistake. It's very, very difficult to get that rhythm and that cohesion that comes that opens team up, teams up. You look at City, City have lost a couple of key players, right? Mm -hmm. And they've lost three of their last four, right? So, and they aren't cutting teams up. I mean, they scored against Arsenal yesterday. Um, <clears throat> and for, it, it, you know, Holland all of a sudden, well, you know, was on a bit of a dread. And that is really, really difficult to do. There's only a few teams that are really good at that. So when you can't do that, you're going to have to rely on players 
doing bits of individual magic or making mistakes. If you look at the goals yep. against Galatasaray, they were counter-attacking goals. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Galatasaray was taking out a punch on the break. Okay, the spaces are there. When they're trying to build out from the back, it's too slow. And yep. the midfield doesn't know how to show. I mean, you'll see it all the time with defenders coming out and they raise their hands like, where's my second ball? Um, and you said something last week that was interesting about trust <clears throat> in players. And I look at Casemiro, and he was exceptional last season. I think we touched on it last week, but we you needed to have a big Casemiro problem, a big uh -huh. Casemiro problem, yeah. in that he is a liability defensively, and I don't think there's a lot of trust in him defensively. So yeah. um, there's been so many times this season when a runner has, excuse me, run right by him <clears throat> and is in his line of sight, and either he doesn't have the fitness to catch him or just doesn't have the will. I'm not sure which one it is. Um, but he's been the, the cause of a number of goals that have been scored yeah. against United. Yeah. And you know, you're you're balancing that out against his goals and saying, okay, fine form. I thought it was really interesting that Ten Hag took him off at halftime. Yeah. Um, I thought it was ballsy of Ten Hag. It's unusual. <laughs> also, I thought it was interesting what he said. Why? Was he wanted to play more football? The other thing that kind of got missed against Galatasaray that I meant to bring up was when Christian Eriksen was asked why United can see goals immediately after scoring. And he said, was it confidence? And he goes, no, it's a concentration focus issue, right? It's mental sharpness. That's, that's really concerning, right? Because that's yeah. something that you expect an athlete to bring. There's not much time I can do to bring it. You know, you either switched on or you're not. That's something, there's an old cliche in football, you're never more vulnerable than when you score for this reason. But these are things that professional teams should be able to correct really quickly. Yeah. So I think some of the problems that exist at United are not easily fixable. And having a Casemiro problem in October yeah. uh, is, is a big concern. How, how do you fix that? I don't know. I honestly don't know because unfortunately this is where we keep ending up at United. We have a few issues. One of them is that, um, you know, this is where this kind of slight debate comes into, into play that will, will, will make it a little bit about Ten Hag, but more about the club because this was where it comes back to. Um, there was a good article from, from the athletic uh, where, where Laurie acknowledged a couple of things in there uh, that, that we've been kind of discussing. It's one of my major issues with the club management and recruitment for a long time um, because it leads to these problems. And um, in it, he talks about uh, this was after the loss, I think, to Galatasaray. And, you know, there's a lot of articles that started coming out about the pressure on Eric Ten Hag's job. Mm -hmm. Or maybe that it was almost like <laughs> maybe not pressure on Eric Ten Hag's job, but it's like those pre-pressure on Eric Ten Hag's right. job, which yeah, is kind of funny, right? It's like he's not under pressure on his job mm -hmm. yet, which is basically saying he's under pressure under his job, mm -hmm. but we don't want to say it yet, right? Um, that comes out all over the place, which is very funny. Um, <laughs> yes. And it acknowledges that, you know, there's quite a few signings, that one of the biggest problems he has is a lot of the, the signings that he made were players who are not at the top of United's list. 
that were pushed to the top of United's list by the manager. And those are the players who are unfortunately underperforming. Um, Onana, for example. I know for certain Diogo Costa at Porto is one of the most scouted players in United's probably history. Yeah. He's He's been – they watched every game from him for almost two years. And, you know – he was a hundred percent seen. That's the guy. He's going to be probably the best keeper in the world someday. And another Allison type of player. They didn't get him because Eric Ten Hag liked Onana, and let's not forget Onana was cheaper by about fifteen million. Yeah, um, which is uh, which is obviously a factor. Um, there's examples of these things, and the thing is, what where, where really what I don't like is um, because this this is the part where the conversation gets complicated. And for a, for a long time, people who've been following me have, have, have noticed last year, this year, I say it a lot. I say you have to protect managers from themselves in some of these areas because um, otherwise they'll hang their, they'll, they'll really tie their own noose in a lot of ways. Um, and you have to keep them from it. You know, Jurgen Klopp wanted Julian Brandt at Liverpool before mm-hmm. he got Mo Salah. And, um, Oh, now the name of the guy, uh, Edwards, was the was the director at the time. Told him, no, 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 no. Listen, not the right guy for you. I'll get you someone better. And he got a Mo Salah, which obviously has turned out to be one of the best signings in, in Premier League history. One of the best players in Premier League history at this point in time as a forward. And um, that's what you have the whole department supposed to do. That's what your directors are supposed to do. That's what your recruitment team is supposed to do. Uh, they're supposed to step in and say, this is who we need. This is who we want. This is, these are the players that we should be going for. And we can talk about Casemiro. Let's look at the reality of this situation. Why did we sign Casemiro in the first place? Um, we spent the summer chasing Frankie de Jong in a very, very, what was probably a, uh, a disastrous in a lot of ways, um, short and long-term, the consequences that has had on the club. Because the chasing of Frankie de Jong tied up something in a range of 75 million pounds of our transfer budget at the time and uh, around 300 to 400,000 a week in wages that were being offered. Um, Declan Rice was attainable, a player who now has obviously moved to Arsenal. And uh, we wouldn't be having this discussion if it was Declan Rice who had been brought in instead of Casemiro. Paying big wages and big money for a player who is moving towards the latter stages of their career is the antithesis of the project that was being sold by bringing Eric Ten Hag in. And now he's dealing with that problem. So it's not his, it's not his, his fault, but it is a huge problem for the club now. And it is a huge problem for him. You know, And I, I know, sorry, last thing on that one. I know they know this too, because... They spent the summer looking at names that a lot of them have not been brought up or mentioned. They spent the summer looking at, uh, as I mentioned, a player, Ezekiel Palacios from from Leverkusen, and seeing if they could bring him in and at latest bring him in by next summer because they expect Casemiro likely to leave for Saudi at some point in the next year or two. And and it, uh, it may be sooner rather than later on that note, but I know that they know the writings on the wall, but that's an issue. If you sign Casemiro in summer 2022 and in summer 2023, you're looking for his replacement. It's, you know, it's just business as usual at United, isn't it? 
Well, he, so I'm gonna say a couple of things. Um, first of all, United's recruitment pre Ten Hag was appalling, absolutely embarrassing, a total disgrace. You know, although honesty and a big part of the reason why they're yep. in this mess. I mean, they're sitting with a 72 million pound winger right now that was signed. And the more I hear about Jude and Sancho, I still can't understand why he was signed. Because I'm going, yeah. He's left-hand side of player. All he wants, he wanted to play on the left. You know, this was revealed in the Solskjaer interview, and I'm like, well, how did you think you were going to fit him and Rashford in the same team? Right. You know, I, 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 don't, I don't, know. don't understand. Like, at what point does somebody stand up and say, well, hang on a minute, you've got one of the club's best players on the left-hand side, um, and why wasn't Jaden Sancho asking these questions? You know, before he signed for United, like, where am I going to play? You know, I, I these these things are so obvious to me that I don't understand why he was signed if that was the position that he really wanted to play. And that's admission from the manager. Um, and I almost felt that when Solskjaer was saying that, it was sort of an indirect way of saying I wasn't the one that pursued him, right? Um, I don't know. I, I don't think he completely washed his hands of that. But Jadon Sancho um, was signed to play in a position that he needed already had. You know, a, a very good player. And anyway, I can tell you just to be to be clear on this because we've spoken a lot about that mm -hmm. summer 2020. Not yeah. when Jane Central was signed because he was signed the following summer, but right. the initial attempt. And I know for a fact that head head scout who's no longer here, chief scout um, Marcel Bout who's no longer here, during that summer told them when they were looking at offering like 100 million for Jaden Sancho, said, "Why don't we drop this and buy Harry Kane?" <laughs> You know, specifically, that was his position. Why don't we drop this and buy Harry Kane? Why Why are we going for this right yeah. now? It's a mess. Well, so, okay, perfect example. We'll get to that in a second. So, Jaden, you know, the squad's unbalanced. Um, uh, I look at the players that Ten Hag signed. He's a, a judge recruitment before and after. So, he comes into a football club that, as Ralph Branick said, you have players here that are fit to play any system there's no you know there, there's no similarity there's no balance yeah. there's some of this yeah. system some for that system the first thing you have to do is identify the system that you want to play then by players that are suited to play yeah. that system yeah. and that's what Klopp did and that's what everybody else did yep so he comes in and he says i want frankie to young now again i know for a fact that when he was in his interview with united they asked him these questions what players mm -hmm. do you want what players can we get and he told them De Jong and named a number of other players. So United had months to work on that. They said they're going to start working on it in June. Yeah. And as we know, the bottleneck here is Joel Glazer. Right? Mm -hmm. Every single yep. thing has to get approved from Joel Glazer. So everything moves at a snail's pace. So Ten Hag's probably coming and expecting a level of efficiency and expediency, right, with these types of deals. And of course, he gets dragged out. He gets dragged out. United should have been the one that turned around and put a deadline on us going, yeah, we don't have something done by December or by, by July. July 1st. Yeah. Because that also done. forces Barcelona's hand into doing something, yeah. right? And it also forces Frankie Dion's hand. Okay, well, look, if this move's going to happen, two things need to happen. Barcelona need to be okay with selling him. And Frankie De Jong needs to really want the move. We're going to find out either by July 1st. We're going to turn around and say, if we don't have a commitment from either Barcelona or Frankie De Jong by July 1st, we move on and put them under pressure to make a decision. You move on. They went for Casemiro after they lost to Brentford. 
Yeah. Right? And they broke their own policy of not giving these contracts out to 30-year-olds. Yep. Real Madrid had already planned for his departure by signing Chuamani and Camavinga, right? Two yep. exceptional young players, right? Which United should have been after one of them. I have been working on detailing him already. As again, well. yeah. you know, I know yeah. they want the Camavinga and all that, and they, want, and they were interested in Chuamani. Um, but now they get the player. And, I, and I, I don't mean to stereotype here, but Brazilian players typically don't age well. Yeah. Okay. Happens a lot. So um, a lot of them are exceptional in their 20s and their 30s. There's a drop off. Uh, he was exceptional in his first season. No doubt. Up until almost the, the League Cup final was one of United's best players. Right. Yes. Yep. Very rarely have I seen a player come in and make such a difference that quickly. I have no no doubt in my mind had he not have been there, you know, would not have qualified. Oh yeah. Like, you go back to the last couple of games of the season. He was scoring in key games. He scored in that Bournemouth game. That one no one. We needed body needed a win. He stepped up. He was a captain. He was a leader. Uh, without captain, but a leader. Scored in that Chelsea game at Old Trafford. Right. There was yep. uh, when you needed needed him. He stepped up. Right. Yep. So. I would say if you read him over the course of his tenure in United, you would have to say he's been a success. Been poor the last, last number of games, I accept that. I would say that Sandro Martinez has been one of the best signings United have made yeah. since Ferguson left. Right? I would agree so with that. The problem with centre-back became a crowd favourite right away, left-footed centre-back, and um, there's a massive contrast between when he plays and when he doesn't play. Mm-hmm. I would say Terrell Malassia... Um, you know, United didn't pay a lot, pay 12 million. It's a low before. risk signing. Yeah, I would say, big, yeah. you know, not, 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 certainly not, certainly not yeah. a negative. I would say Rasmus Hoyland and Rasmus Hoyland and Casemiro are two players that haven't played for him before. Yep. Maybe United can take some credit for, I don't know. But Rasmus Hoyland. They can take credit for Hoyland. It's very encouraging, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anthony is a problem. Anthony yeah, problem. is definitely not justifiable. Yeah. Olana. Definitely not justifiable. But, you know, it's mean, Hopefully you know. it'll improve. I, yeah, I would yeah, give him time to. Improve, too. I, I know anymore. he's better yeah. than this, but he's obviously man, it's pretty bad. This is a guy that was in the Champions League final. Where he kept yeah. going, wow, came so many seven clean seats the Champions League last season. Yeah. He's obviously better than this, right? Yeah. Um, uh, right now, he doesn't look good. Um, you know, I'm about to make up my mind. The rest you can't really judge them on because they're all loans, you know, but yeah, big horse, you know, Spitzer, they're they're big boys. But I'll have to say for the most part, his recruitment has been better than what went before. I mean, United made have made so many mistakes in the market, right? So um I, I would say for the most part, it's been better than what we've seen. Now Harry, you should have had Harry Kane. Right. Well, United yep. decided there was a better use of resources um, and not pursuing arguably the best striker in the world. So Joe United Blazer won- decided a better use of resources. Yeah. So United yeah. won. And, and and I've said this before, you know, when Ralph Rodnick was saying they need 9-10 signings. I'm like, United aren't capable of making 9-10 signings yeah. in the summer simply because of how slow they move at pace. Yep. And again, this is brought up in Laurie's piece, right? Where, you know, Solskjaer felt that the three signings that he was being uh, guaranteed was just about all you needed to get done, right? Because of yep. how slow everything moves and how you just have to justify. So, you know, he's working at a football club that is massively inefficient in just about every department. Um, I don't, I honestly believe it stands that if Pep Guardiola was working for United, there's no way to have European Cups in the leagues. So There's just no way. 
Right? Yeah. A coach, a coach can refine your game. It can give you certain um, good habits and all that there, but it it can't make you great. And something else I was listening to. Sorry to finish this long point. Yeah. Uh, I was talking the other day about uh, I was listening to a podcast from the Athletic about the Arsenal and Everton doctor, and uh, they were talking about Saka and Saka getting injured. And they were talking about what Premier League teams do through the week. And uh, he goes, you know, vast majority of them aren't really doing intensive training. You do that at the yeah. start of preseason, and a lot of it is rest, recovery, game, you know. Yep. And, yep. and so he's like, you don't see a lot of intent. He goes, and the problem is with injuries that are non-contact injuries. They're really difficult to predict because there's no objective, obvious threshold between yeah, this is too much, and this is going to get you injured, and it's going to change between yeah. every player so yeah. much. And what's more, he goes, players lie to you. Yeah, you know, players have a little knock; they're not going to tell you because yeah. they, they want to get dropped, right? Yeah. So he goes, top players, well, goes the lady for different reasons, right? So especially if we've got an international game coming up, they don't want to miss the international game. There's loads of reasons why they won't tell you the truth. If you leave one of the top players out, predicting he's going to get an injury, you're going to have a problem with the player in the club, right? So in some sympathy with managers, it's not an exact science. And he goes, and even amongst the doctors, there's not complete agreement on what is an acceptable load. He goes, usually where injuries happen is when you get a huge contrast between what a player's conditioned to doing and what you're asking them. So if someone's been sitting on the bench and they play three, four games in a row, boom, regular, right? You're going to see players pick up injuries. Yeah. Right, so he goes, well, they've been out for a while, and you bring them back, and you got to play like Hoyland. To do. You can, that's how they pick up injuries when there's a huge contrast in the in the load. And of yep. course, they play too much. But he also brought up another good point saying, talking about strikes, you have no chance because the fact that players are playing too much only affects the very, very top players. Players below yeah. that are not doing it, they're not going to Correct. get games on that. Correct. So, yep. um, so yeah, you know, some some slate defense of 10 hog. It's not a, it's not, you know, it's not an, um, a black and white issue. Like how much yeah. do you play a player before he gets injured? For sure. And and again, it's just one of those things I think should be, again, down to him entirely as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, you really do have and are supposed to have experts who are supporting mm -hmm. these where maybe they don't know 100%, but as with anything, you know, no, nothing is generally that black and white as to say, you know, this is the hard line rule for it. But you're always better off relying on the expertise of individuals who are, um, you know, that that is their specialty, that is their expertise, and uh, and relying on them and, and utilizing them in, in really any area. But yeah, um, hopefully it gets better. You know, one thing I, I would just wanted to add here because before mm -hmm. I forget, just on uh, on the injury front news is that um, uh, Malassia and Shaw shouldn't be too much longer. Fortunately, mm. from what I'm hearing as well, that um, uh, this morning I heard that both of them would be able to be, or I've started to work on working up to fitness. That doesn't necessarily mean they're back on grass running, things like that. But um, the hope is uh, before November that they could both be back, which would obviously make a huge difference. I think Regulon will be back after the Af after the international break. Um, but having Luke Shaw and Malasia on makes a huge difference, not in just that Diogo Dallo can get a rest too. Uh, yeah. Luke Shaw can play left center back. It actually makes a huge difference uh, to the team overall, those players returning. I think as good as, as some players can be in their energy and effort, um, there's 
a uh, something that you know there's a there's definitely a something that Luke Shaw brings, and and this as well, you know, will add to quite a few things. There's there's a quality that Luke Shaw brings, and specifically his relationship, having been at the club for a long time with Marcus Rashford, that last yeah. year was almost automatic in resulting yeah, in goals. No and it's like w- without him, yeah, Marcus Rashford at times looked like he's floundering on his own on the left, mm-hmm. um, unable to do anything. You put Luke Shaw in there, I think you see a difference for both for the team and for him. And there is that aspect of those relationships building. There's the aspect of that building with Rasmus Hoyland. He, he still is not scoring in the Premier League. That's fine. It'll happen. Uh, you can see the qualities are there, mm-hmm. but he's not getting the service. And it's not necessarily even for lack of trying. Mm-hmm. It's about uh, they don't really know necessarily. They don't. There's a lot of moments where that snap decision has to be made that they don't know he's going to be there or he's, he's going to be making that run or he's going to be in this position or he's going to be doing this that they're all going to have to learn from or that he doesn't know, hey, you know, when Bruno's here, he's going to be constantly doing this. Those relationships have to build and, and that'll help quite a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I think that uh, that overall, you know, the injuries returning back will, will help quite a bit. Uh, and then Kabi Mainu should be back. And uh, and Ahmad Diallo as well, very very soon. And uh, and speaking, you know, just kind of wrapping up the point on Casemiro. That's, you know, as we saw in preseason, there's a goal for for Kavi Manu to play in that kind of position. Mm-hmm. And so hopefully it gives us a little bit more options and a little more flexibility. Um, you know, and and on the whole, when it comes to to, to Ten Hag, and then I think we could talk about maybe some of the so Sancho, some of the dressing room things, and all of that. Part of the issue with all of this is that um, you're not going to get any better if you replace Eric Ten Hag with anybody else. Mm-hmm. You know, as you were saying, you could put Pep Guardiola and he would struggle with certain things majorly. For the level that we want to reach, I don't think there's an answer with the way the club is being run right now, which is a little bit of a depressing take because I, I usually feel very positive about certain things. But, but I do think that no matter what, I believe are the faults and uh, um, shortcomings of the current manager, which I think there are quite a few, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, I don't think that you are have it. You have a system that anyone can succeed in, as it is presently. We're going to constantly make the mistakes that we continue to make and violate the policies that we continue to set based on individual decisions um, that lead to failures down the road. Uh, and and set you back what looks like a good call at one point in time and Casemiro turns out to be one of your biggest problems the next year and uh, and it all comes from poor poor planning from the top down as we said at the start of last summer they could have they could have managed things so much better to where they had an answer from Frankie de Jong early on and they could have gone for somebody else they could have pursued even perhaps Chouameni back then who had been on their radar for years before he went to Madrid, they could have pursued Declan Rice. There's a lot of things that could have been done differently if the management was different and there wasn't this logjam that goes to Joel Glazer, who, by the way, has his own football advisors. So regardless of what information is being given from people within the club, you know, some guy that Joel's paying himself might be the one making the calls for Manchester United at the end of the day in that uh, de facto director of football situation. And that goes across the board. So it's a very difficult situation that that uh, Eric Ten Hag has. And it's, um, you know, one we can only hope that perhaps during this international break, we 
do get something on the on the you know side of finality or movement when it comes to the potential ownership ownership situation because it is a a serious problem and will always continue to be until it is resolved. I want to get through this international break without any scandals breaking through. Right. A <laughs> <laughs> um, couple of things I wanted to touch on that you mentioned, which are interesting. You know, hopefully, Cubby Menu's return that is contingency planning where we can replace Casemiro if, you know, Kit has a strong second half of the season. It was the other thing that that meant to mention on that uh, Arsenal Library and Doctor talking about high commodities for young players to get injuries from 16 to 2021. 20, yeah. Yes. Physical changes in their body. And uh, it's very, very common for them to pick up bad injuries at that age group, which was really interesting. Uh, also, because the contrast and the load and everything else. Um, again, with Ten Hag, if United were to get rid of Ten Hag, and I don't think that's even close or even should be, that decision has to be made by someone that's a football person that understands football. Not Joe Glazer, not Richard. Correct. Correct. Last week. Correct. We need to know why he failed. But one of the things that they have to make clear if that ever happened, that's not as a consequence of players not liking him. Because yeah. if there's yeah. a sense that that, can, that is something that they can do, yeah. then it'll be in this forever, right? Yeah. So there has to be very, very clear understanding this did you have no influence of getting the manager sacked um i agree with you 100 with luke shaw and the partnership with rashford in rashford's slight defense on the thing that you just talked about with rasmus hoyland united's expectation united fans expectation of rashford is completely different of garnacho rashford's judged on yeah. goals right yeah. if you want a left winger and judge him solely on goals then you can't expect them to be creating for hoyland mm-hmm. right because Which is trying, play, like, yeah, almost yeah. to a fault recently, yeah. But Garnacho, when he creates and doesn't score, he's lauded, right? And mm-hmm. and, and this is – so you can see this in how they play. So yeah. Rashford's conscious, I need to get on the goal screen, I need to, on, I need to score, I need to score, I need to score, I need to score. Um, and I was reading some of the stats on how like, – he hasn't had a single chance inside the six-yard box at all this yep. season. Yep. And uh, Garnacho – is has a different expectation when Garnacho came on the weekend. There was a noticeable improvement in difference. In fact, the goal that was disallowed earlier came as a result of Garnacho pulling, you know, pulling the cross in. Then he pulls the ball back, McCombany scores, right? Because Garnacho doesn't feel the same pressure to get inside, shoot, and score. His, pre- his pressure is get to the ball and create, put balls in the box. And I'm not going to get criticized if I don't score. But if I create, you know, I'll be sufficient. If Rashford's just creating and not scoring, Rashford's still getting criticised. So I think in some Rashford's slight defence, you know, his threshold for, um, you know, for, for for you know, a, a, a good game is totally different than what Garnacho yeah. is. So, um, but Garnacho, you know, is, is someone that makes the difference when he comes on, made a big difference. And I don't think, you know, Ten Hag, Ten Hag took Rashford off. I don't think United win that game on the weekend if Granacho doesn't play. Well, and, and there's just an, on the factor of that too, there's the thing that unfortunately, you know, what, what I want to talk about on this is that I, I think that fans get very, very caught up um, in trying to have players compete with each other mm-hmm. um, when it's not really the case. For one Coming on as a substitute into a game is totally different to start. Really different. It's a completely different game. It is. It is easier, and it's. This is not a criticism at all. It's easier to make an impact as a substitute. You're coming on a fresh legs against a play against a you know a team that has been chasing 
your replacement for 65 minutes. And uh, the game states are different. Everything's different. Garnacho has been very effective as a substitute. He's struggled as much, if not more, as a starter most of the time that he's gotten the chances. Um, but part of the, the question that I would have, and and, and then may, maybe it'll lead you to the next thing, or maybe not. I as um, <laughs> for me, what I would be asking Eric Ten Hag is, why didn't you get both of them on the pitch? Rashford mm. and Garnacho. They're going to have to find a way to do that, teams. Because we've started Bruno Fernandez on the right, mm-hmm. which I'm not a fan of at all, frankly. I think he's. I don't think he's had a good game on the right United in a long time. He's right-footed. Why can't we put Garnacho out there? Why if can't we put Garnacho out there and keep Bruno in the middle? Why yeah. or, or Rashford? I mean, I'd rather keep Rashford on the left. But either way, why can't we put Garnacho out there on the right if we're going to use a right footer and Bruno anyway? and keep Bruno into the midfield. You know, he, Bruno's credit usually is a good runner. He tracks back really well. Um, by putting him on the wing, he's able to provide a bit, he's even providing a bit less defensive coverage, which might be some of the problems that we're having on these goals because he does run back. He does work hard. 99% of the time, Bruno is, is hustling back on defense as well. And I'd like to see him and stay in the midfield. Mm-hmm. But, but that would be my question because... I think one of the biggest problems that that Ten Hag has where I think he opens the door to a lot of criticism is Anthony. Um, I still think that Anthony, when he came on, for one, he he was uh, he was getting some booze from from the fans in the stadium for reasons that are probably not football related. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think he was, again, quite ineffective. There was a lot of moments on the break. He made a, a poor decision on a three-on-one situation to, to try to pass it very early. Uh, instead of continuing, he skim, scuffed his shot on a couple of occasions. He's he's fairly ineffective. He's been fairly ineffective since he's joined. Um, he doesn't have a league goal in like almost a year now, mm-hmm. or it's, it's not, he has like one league goal in the last twelve months as That's a right winger. Yeah, and it's like. What are we, you know, when when do we, when do we address the elephant in the room? Yeah, here? No, it's unacceptable. You know, and yeah. that is the one area that Eric Ten Hag is opening himself up to pretty massive criticism yeah, when it comes I to agree. Anthony. I, I think one of the problems for getting Garnacho and Rashford on the pitch at the same time is if you look at how Ten Hag plays his wingers, is yeah. you know Anthony is so predominantly left-footed plays on the right. Rashford's predominantly right-footed plays on the left, yeah. and so he wants his wingers to cut in. And uh, this is always also one of the problems with Palestri because Palestri's right-footed and Palestri wants yeah. to hug the line and go wide. Yeah, right. But Ten Hag wants those forwards, those three forwards, um, close proximity to each other. Because he thinks, you know, he's obviously there's a lot of interchange and it puts defenders all over the place. It's easier to mark when there's three of them completely spread out. Um, so how do you do that when, you know, Garnacho's left-footed too? Uh, or uh, right-footed, I believe. Right-footed, um, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, how, do you, how do you do this? You know, I think it's a, it's a big challenge. And again, mm-hmm. brings up the Jadon Sancho issue, you know. Um, how does Jadon Sancho have a career at Manchester United when he wants to play on the left and he would be third choice? I honestly think Ten Hag, Connecticut could get good money for him in January. We'd be happy to get to him. So oh, yeah. you, you could talk to him in a second. So about him a second. So yeah, I think um, you know th- I agree with you one hundred percent that Anthony is a major problem. Um, and uh, I think it's you know, when you're not scoring goals, 
you know, prior to the game on Saturday night, it had scored seven. There were seven league goals. Most most teams have scored twice as much as that. Yeah. It's completely unacceptable. And um, when one of your problems is an eighty-five million pound winger that should be contributing, look at his contemporaries, you look at Saka, you look at other players in that position, like Musala, other players, they're contributing. 15, 20 goals a season. Rashford's expected to do that. Why isn't the same expected of Anthony? Yep. Yep, exactly. And and I think that this is part of the the challenge in, you know, in, in talking about Sancho because as I understand it, the the whole initial issue really stemmed around uh around Anthony. There's a lot of stuff going on in the in a yeah. locker room that is probably not worth talking about simply because when you start talking about it, people will think it's unusual. A lot of it's not unusual, yeah, it's not. but it gets taken out of context and becomes like an issue when it's not. And my intention, uh, I think our intention um, in, in, in things as people will know is has never been to stir up drama where there is none. That's not why we do these, these podcasts and videos and use our platforms is to, mm-hmm. is to cause problems when things are not the type of things that we've heard very, very easily are things that could be, taken to use as a stick to beat either the players or the managers with unfairly. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that, ha- that I, that has been an issue and is an issue is, is Anthony It's the one person where there's, there is a sentiment about the favoritism when it comes to him that will not go away mm-hmm. and goes beyond Jaden Sancho. It goes well beyond Jaden Sancho. But sure what is. happened originally was it seemed to be that there was a, a the morning that, of Friday when before that that game where Sancho wasn't selected, uh, he left training early after having a basically a big fight with Eric Ten Hag, and so it's a complex it's a little bit of a complex situation here because as I said on on Twitter, Jaden Sancho thinks he's right, and that's why he's not going to apologize. He's not going to say I apologize when he believes that he's right and that apologizing isn't going to change the situation, whether he is or he isn't. Um, there's an under there. You can kind of understand that if you think a situation is unfair, you apologizing isn't going to change it. Then why apologize? You know, if, if the other side isn't going to change what they're doing, then you're not going to apologize because it's going to make no difference to you. And it's better for you to leave that situation. Uh, I'm not sure that he's right on this, especially in the way of going about it, but they had a big, a big, uh, a big fight that really a lot of it centered around, um, around Anthony, around, selections and team choices and things like that um and uh you know and then it was brought up that he wasn't training well which he took issue with because technic what he was technically saying was i was training well up until that point when i got pissed off about us about this team selection mm-hmm. and these kind of things so you know there's a little bit of truth from both sides on this on this scenario um which explains his comments a bit more what he was saying whether again whether he's right or wrong but since that point in time he's he's completely refused to essentially engage in the situation um he's been training either with the youth or not at all um and completely separate to the team they're already looking at replacing him they were already looking at replacing him in summer which i'll bring it back to in defense of both Jaden sancho and eric ten Hag once again comes down to United if they were already looking to replace him any serious club would have just replaced him but weren't they looking at him yeah Yeah, they were already lining up options they were already looking at this is what United do and it's it's very frustrating they make a decision to do something and then they decide we're going to handle it next year Mm -hmm. 
And it happens all the time. It happened with Casemiro. It's happened, you know, because even if Casemiro is going to stay this year, should Palacios or whoever they're going to replace him with not be here already? Mm. Like so Real Madrid, they're playing and learning the role. Like good. Real Madrid do with everybody, you know what I mean? And like they all do that. Rodri was brought in before Fabinho was gone. They tried to do that Madrid. with Van der Beek and Pog, but to bring Van der Beek oh, in, that's what Pog was successful. But this is, um, to, be, yeah. to be fair though, yeah. the reason why you bring them in a year early is so that you don't you find out whether these players are actually capable yeah. of doing that, and you take the pressure off too. Mm -hmm. Should Rasmus Hoyland not have been brought in, maybe while someone like Cavani was still at the club, right? Yeah. Where you have a year to learn from somebody, where you have another option, but we don't do that. Should Anthony, in his defense, not have been brought in when we already had a right winger in place? I mean, gosh, we should have brought bought a right winger back to replace you know Nani or Ronaldo. And we never did, you know, <laughs> like behind right. them. It, it's it's time and time again. It's the same thing with uh, with this right wing position here with Jaden Sancho. They knew they wanted potentially wanted to replace him, that he probably didn't have necessarily a long term, that they were open to offers for him, that there had been discussions or preliminary contacts with other clubs like Tottenham, Newcastle, Chelsea, as mentioned, and that they were already scouting and looking at right wingers. But it's never do it now because it all comes down to a financial decision. They don't mm -hmm. have the money. They don't have the money to sell them and buy them or the money's not made available to sell them and buy them. Same as the money isn't made available to replace Casemiro before they can sell him off to Saudi. The money's not there. Yep. So they're looking at a loan to buy. And, and why why on earth would you know, a team like Leverkusen loan Palacios? Why would Everton loan on with, you know, Onana? There's no, they would never. There's no reason for it. So they're not going to mm -hmm. do it. So then those players will come in later on. And that puts United constantly a year behind. Yeah. And 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 that continues to happen, you know, with with all of that. Um, you know, and it's it's it leads to frustration for players where they know they're not necessarily in the plans, but they're there and they're stuck there. And it leads to frustrations for managers who should be able to uh, regardless of signings, I think managers, if they do not feel they can work with the player, they should be able to get rid of them immediately. Always be able to get rid of them immediately, and it's not even that they wait a year; they leave it to the very yeah. end of that year. Yeah, you know, yeah. Last months, <laughs> that Casemiro, yeah. let's bring him in the last two weeks of the window instead of integrating them at the start of the yep. window and doing all that. Yep. And you, you don't have to, you know, wait months for him to find this. Anyway, I know this is this is, um, uh, yeah. you know, just to quickly wrap up the Sancho thing. I understand not apologizing if it's in May or June where you can leave in the immediate future. But even if it's insincere, apologize because it's in your best interest and then turn around at December 31st and go, I want to leave. You know, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. To me, at this point, um, you know, it becomes the longer it leaves it, the harder it becomes to, to do this. And I don't know if he's adding value to his perceived value um by not Maybe that's the point though you know and so yes yeah, so, it gets the easier it is for someone to buy him yeah but the, yeah, yeah yes i'm not i'm, I'm just you know. what also affects how he gets paid if it affects yeah. what you know the deal the type of deal that he gets you know i mean if jaden sancho's leaving united in january after a run of two three months of good form he can go anywhere he wants yeah. but now once you don't play and you increase the risk then you increase, decrease the level of club that comes in for you that's willing to take that risk. And I think yeah. for Sancho, if I'm a top sporting director, I'm going, do, do we need this? It's different if he has an amazing run of form and you're like, okay, you know, I can see the incentive and football has a short memory, you know, so 
Um, everything's There's good. no doubt that uh, he's being right. poorly advised. <laughs> oh, 100%. 100%. He's probably poorly advised in coming to United in the first place. 100%. Okay. Um, quick comment on, obviously, the other thing, big thing that happened this weekend was the death of Kathy Ferguson. Um, and deepest condolences to, to Sir Alex and the family. Um, the, the, the ironically, and it is just this weird symmetry, life, um, United win in the 90s in Fergie time um, yeah. with a Scott from the academy on the weekend that Kathy uh, passed away. Um, I've had Darren Ferguson on my podcast before, and I know how glowingly spoke of his mother and how important she was to the family and, of course, to the success of Manchester United. So our deepest condolences um, yeah. to uh, Sir Alex, uh, Kathy, and the family. Uh, just one or two other things I want to touch on. Um, the Celebration Police... Um, someone made a mistake of sharing a Gabby Bonlahor clip with me. Who the stick is getting a bit old. I mean, I think this whole reason yeah, for yeah. This is the troll United. I've actually never heard him say anything outside of trolling United fans. The only time I ever see anything from Gabby Bonlahor is when he has something negative to say about Manchester. And I think you know it's so transparent at this point that this is his only reason for existing. Like I would be embarrassed if I was him. Like. You know, have you no substance? If you have you nothing else to contribute? I mean, this is this is Twitter is ninety nine percent of this of trolling United fans and other football fans. Yeah. You think you'd have some other value and try to make yourself, you know, uh, attractive to other broadcasters and get something outside of the shtick. But but then there's the other people um, that uh, want to police how you celebrate. And how what I mean when should mean and want to remind you that Brantford have won one game this season and want to remind, all the things that you already know, of course. And to me, it's like, look, if you can't enjoy something like this, now I have to accept I was angry after the one no goals game, right? But this is yeah. different. You know, they have been on this long, atrocious run, right? And they win a game, two goals in the last minute. Um and supposedly the most competitive league in the world, like I said the other week, how quickly teams become shit when United beat them. Um, and then people are telling you that you need to calm down and you need to not be happy. Um, I mean, you saw that guy, Ransom Bance, who sounded like he was just being notified of a tax audit um, whenever McCombley scored the second goal. And I will admit, my PTSD with VAR tempered my celebration a because I'm like wanting to go nuts and I'm like this is going to get ruled out this is going to get ruled out and uh, one of the downsides to VAR um, but uh, I don't I don't I don't really understand that I don't really understand t- t- telling people that they shouldn't be happy yeah it's it's tough I mean I understand people's I understand why some people feel uh, themselves having difficulty to celebrate Things you know when they're, when they're watching and they feel very negative about how things are going. I understand why they themselves would feel like uh, they can't celebrate. They're not willing. You know, one one of the things that has been frustrating that I definitely disagree with over the years in terms of fans is that um, the concept of if you're not like if you don't win a trophy, there's nothing to be happy about. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. Uh, you know, it's it's definitely very weird. I mean, there there are clubs with diehard supporters that will never win a trophy for decades. Yeah. What about them? What about all those people, you know, who nonsense. support Brentford, who support Crystal Palace, who support these clubs that when are they going to win a trophy next? You know, uh, it's going to be a long time 
there are things to celebrate and it's not demeaning to make a comparison of Manchester United to those teams. We don't have a God-given right as fans to deserve more than uh, the fans of these teams. And, um, you know, sports is all about celebrating the destination and the, the, how you're going along the way, the journey to get there, the ups and the downs, the things that happen along the way. Nobody wins every single game on the way to a trophy, on the way to a title, on the way to anything. Uh, it's never happened, right? <laughs> Nobody's won every single game in a season, uh, and it probably never will. And it's like celebrate the things, the good things that happen, and enjoy it. And 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 uh, you know, or don't if you don't feel like it. But it doesn't matter how other people feel about. This I just thing. don't understand. As I said, like I said this on the podcast last week. Liverpool United are the two most successful football clubs in England. Yep. United's success basically happened in two years. In a 145-year history, it happened under Sir Mann and it happened under Sir Alex. So for maybe 110 years of their history, it was mediocrity, right? It was yeah. trophy here, trophy there. When they were in the second division, the United Championship, United had record attendances, right? Yeah. The, the fans didn't turn around and go, well, I'm not going because we didn't beat Barcelona. You know, there was yeah. none of this nonsense, right? This spoiled yeah. brat nonsense, you know, where I'm not celebrating because we got promoted from the championship. It's just the championship or the Wolves' first division. You know, it had record yeah. attendances. If you ask people from that era that were there, they will tell you that was one of the most enjoyable times as being a United fan. You know, Juventus, when they got relegated into, you know, Serie B because of Cal Chapoli, didn't turn around and say, we're not supporting. I mean, this is ridiculous. This, this, is, a, this yeah. is people living up to the exact stereotype. Oh, mm -hmm. for other fans that um, yeah. you know, unless you're winning, you're not. I mean, this is this is absurd to me. Um, and so, like I said, we're very lucky to be living in the era where you know I've got to see it win two European cups, thirteen Premier League titles, FA cups, European Super Cups, UEFA you know cups. This is this is there is no United fans in their 145 year history have got to enjoy this, right? Except for those I in the current era. I so think most, most don't, don't get the yeah. I think a lot of it does come from people who probably didn't see that, frankly. A lot of people who yeah. um, are younger, you know, uh, not to, I don't know where anybody, these people from, some of them are from, probably from all over the world, but um, younger people who did not experience a lot of the highs directly, at least not at a manage, at a level where they remember them. But, you know, ended up becoming United fans either because they were most successful club at the time or had been for the last 20 years when they became fans or because of family or reasons like that. And um, there's probably, you know, I, I can understand it. It, it. There's there's definitely a frustration. I've spoken to a lot of people in my communities and places like that that only started supporting United in 2012 and 13. Um just from age and things like that. That was only when they really got serious about it. Mm -hmm. And they maybe witnessed one last title from Sir Alex and they've, they've, they're regaled by, and it must be frustrating to some degree, right? They're regaled by all the stories of the past and the history and all these great things that they never experienced and witnessed. And then you have the last decade of what's gone on since then. And it can be very frustrating. And, and I think it spills over um, into all of this rage and frustration being taken out on other people. There is that, that doesn't justify it. It's wrong. It's the wrong way to support things, but it's a direction of a lot of modern fans that have moved into that. Um, it's hard to, 
hard to agree with and is certainly not something you know I, we obviously should always be pressing for 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 winning for standards but it's a lot of what happened at our only gunner solskjaer too that was very frustrating i think some of it's disingenuous some of it is purely based on um being wanting to you know wanting things to be bad it is amazing how this happens but there are absolutely a lot of fans out there that want things to be worse under people they don't like or with people mm -hmm. they don't like yeah, don't and they don't celebrate when players certain players score because they don't like them and they you know it's like I, do i think mctominay is a player who should be at this point in time uh, no offense to him at united for the standard and the level that we want to play probably not maybe not Will I celebrate when he scores? Absolutely, 100%. Do I want him to do well every time he steps on the pitch? Absolutely, 100%. Um, <laughs> Let me just say I, one thing on my comment. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Because when we talked quickly about what his value was to the squad and why I felt yeah. he was more important than Fred, one of the things that I'd said is he gives you hate with set pieces. Yeah. You can, if you're defending the lead, you can stick yeah. them on defense, they'll clear balls for you all day. If you're chasing something, yeah. you can throw them up front and hopefully it's on the end of something. Yeah. What he did in that game is one of the main reasons why I feel that he was more important for sure. the than Fred because he get up again, he you know, he's six foot four, you know, he can go on the end of it. Yeah. And the I mean, I the irony, of course, Harry Maguire flicks it on. Maguire McTominay gets the one or two players that um, you know, that uh Ten Hag wanted to leave. Yeah. One of them, I believe, end up uh, probably Saving getting him most probably, important yeah. when United. But yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to object. Go ahead. There. No, no, no. You're right. And but part of the problem is is again, should Scott McTominay have been spending most of his his career at United playing as the deepest midfielder? Absolutely not. Neither should He's Fred. Also more than a thirty million pound midfielder, man. I would yeah. No, no. I, I actually agree with you on that. I actually agree with that. I think that. Um, Scott McTominay is a better is 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 like uh, it's a fun he's one of those funny players that's in the middle where I actually think he's be an extremely valuable player to a lot of teams in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. I think yeah. he would be extremely valuable. Look at Fred for example. I know it's a different league. He joined Fenerbahce. They've not lost a game. They've won I think twelve straight games. They're top of the league on course for a, quite an incredible season for them. Mm. It's a different league, but we also lost to Galatasaray. So you know you see how it goes but uh it's about the usage of these players and poor planning at the end of the day if, if McTominay was playing I think in a different position for most of the time he'd been at United used as a different player not relied upon to be the deepest midfielder and be this like defensive midfielder savior for United that he's not people would have a different opinion of him there's always been a usage for utility players like that when the rest of the team's constructed very well and uh and I think he'd be very valuable for a lot of other a lot of other teams, but, um, but yeah, just on the, on the last kind of a fan point it, uh it's, it's obviously a, a, a difficult culture um, and mix of cultures dealing with in, uh, in supporting a club like United in the modern day, when it comes to modern fans, this, that, or the other, I wouldn't cast a brush and say that it's all young people or it's all online fans or it's all this or it's all that. Cause it's not, it's a, it's a mixture. I know plenty of people who started supporting United in the last seven, eight years that don't act mm -hmm. like this. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just interesting and, uh, and unfortunate. And, uh, I, I, what I said after the game was, um, a win is a win to celebrate and mm -hmm. then, you know, enjoy it and draw your, you know, do your analysis and all that. <laughs>
tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a time and a place, right? There's euphoria yeah. at the moment, and then you can parse it later about whether it's worth staying happy for. And of course, there's time to reflect on the negatives that'll come. But yeah. I don't think it should tamper the moment of sure. you know, euphoria. Um, and um, you know, anyway, it's up to everyone else. It's just my view. But I still, I, I still, I sorry, on the last point, I, I still remember the final goal. Before COVID lockdowns at the at Old Trafford that McTominay scored against City, yeah, that was one of the best games I've ever I've watched in a long, long time. It was one of the most fun games to watch. We didn't win any trophies that so year. We're going to travel over over Guardiola that season. I know, I know. I mean, that's something to celebrate. I'll enjoy that. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'll always just, enjoy that we did that. You know, we just never got enough credit. Yeah. I mean, you look over the, the you look over the years how United have been. And you look at how many times United came back from a goal down, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, I think they broke the record for that. Yeah. How many times yeah. they won away from home? You know, yep. some of the undefeated away from home. home. Yeah. You know uh, how he did when he first came in. You know, and um, you know, yeah, I know it didn't end well, hundred um, percent. But you know, he, he got second, came within a whisker penalty kick away from the UEFA Cup. Um, yeah. You know, made some mistakes, I think, in that FA Cup semi-final by rotating against Chelsea, which I think cost him. But, um, you know, I don't think he got anywhere near the credit he deserves. Okay, Matt, we'll leave it there. Um, thanks yeah. to all of you for downloading the podcast. As always, don't forget, uh, give James a follow at United Muppeteers. Subscribe to all his platforms, his Discord, everything. Definitely worth following. The uh, best way you can support the show is to do that. Subscribe to the podcast um, or the Beyond the Pitch YouTube channel or James's YouTube channel channel. Um, that means an awful lot. So please take the time to do that. Um, it definitely um, is appreciated. So uh, we'll be back again next week. Take it easy, man. Thanks, you too.